Welcome. This is the Business of Vulnerability, the podcast that shares the wonderful work that individuals, organizations, and communities are doing around the world to try and help those who are most vulnerable. Welcome to the uh, Business of Vulnerability podcast. Uh, we're here with, with Matt Simmons from Simtech Solution. Matt's the president of Simtech. Uh, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about what Simtech does? Absolutely. Thanks, Blake, for hosting. Yeah, no so problem. Simtech Solutions is a mission-driven, for-profit company focused on addressing homelessness across the U.S. That's the high level. Uh, there's a lot of nuance to that, but yeah, that's, that's in general what, we, what we're all about. Awesome. When, when did you guys start? So company was founded in 1998. I uh, took the leap right out of college doing Y2K work. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in 2001, um, I started, my best friend at the time, he ran a shelter and uh, we were roommates and um, just getting, getting together after a hard day's worth of work. We would, we would come back and talk about our problems. And I'd talk about what I was doing with, with the banks and he'd talk about what he's doing at his shelter. Uh, and one of the things that, that, that at the time that came up was that he was going to be shut down, um, at risk of being shut down by the fire department because his mission-driven uh, nonprofit uh, didn't want to turn anyone away. That was part of their, their core you know, mission statement, that there's mm -hmm. open doors except everyone. Well, their numbers were getting through the roof above fire code and the fire department was going to come and, and, and unfortunately lock the doors for everyone. So he was at a, in a tough spot between his board and the community yeah. and, and the people he's serving. Right. So we ended up talking it through. And, you know, one of the things that, that kind of percolated to the top is, well, have you, have you looked at the data um, behind who you're serving and, and what's happening? And, and he said, well, we have a, a system but we don't really know how to use the data that comes out of it. But we put information in all the time about who's, who's serving, who's getting a bed, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. well, I said, well, if you can get me access to the data, then, you know, what we could probably do is figure out who your high utilizers are. And if we can figure that out, then we can, if we help them, we can make, you know, free up capacity for everyone below. And so that was the premise. And so I developed the first, Homeless Management Information System, HMIS Data Warehouse in the U.S. Um, as an early start yeah. and, and ingested the data from their, their system and, you know, went to town on it. And what we ended up doing is it's basically a stay pattern analysis. What we're trying to do is we're trying to find out, like I said, who are those high utilizers are, the frequent flyers, and do they have anything in common? Um, and so we were looking at things like presence of disabling conditions, um, you know, ages, demographic patterns, et cetera. Uh, what we ended up finding, what we did is we, we whittled it down to a cohort of 12 women. Um, you know, we're trying to have a little bit of a target. And what the Father Bill's Place, which is a nonprofit that we were working with, what they did is they worked with Neighborhood Housing, which is another uh, entity that helped build housing. They found a shipyard building. So like the, 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 the people that used to work on ships, um, you know, that industry is long gone in Quincy, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. um, it's not to the state it was. So they had these, these, these buildings where they would have, you know, 12, 15 people in at a time living during, you know, at night, sleeping at night, and then they'd go work on the ships during the day. But those buildings are starting to get dilapidated, right? Yep. So they were, it was a perfect setting for a congregate living facility where you could have, 
you know, let's re rehab the, the, the building. Let's put some, you know, people in those, that building. We can have built-in case management. Um, and it's going to be good for the community because it's going to, it's going to re rehab this building and we're going to take, you know, help 12 women at a, at a time. And so we found a, you know, a place that had 12 units basically of, of SRO, single room occupancy, um, with some common living space. So that's what we did. Um, so we identified a list of 12, um, and these, these women were, were there, you know, over 300 nights a year, you know, for the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, if you predict the future using past data, there's a good chance they're going to be there again for another 300 days staying in the shelter. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, the analogy I use is if, if we're trying to, to decrease shelter utilization, you could either place 365 people that are there on an average of one night a year, or we can take one person that's there on an average of 365 days and put that person into housing and it has the same net impact. Yep. On the shelter, on the shelter utilization. So that's what we did. It's, and it's, it's, so we put those 12 women in, um, you know, it took a little while, you know, funding and getting the community support, fighting NIMBYism. Uh, so, but, and that was not my job. Our job is to prepare the data and, and serve <laughs> it up. Right. So I give a lot of credit to everyone that went through those fights. Um, and the city of Quincy really was, you know, thought leaders on this and, and early adopters of the housing first model. So, and that's part of it. So Sam Severus, uh, you know, he was one of the early, you know, a big proponent of housing first coming out of New York City. And mm -hmm. we were looking at his research. So it was, wasn't necessarily, this wasn't our idea, but the idea was to say, can we support it and can we document it with data that this actually works and there's a return on investment there. So sure enough, um, we had worked in working with the hospitals ahead of time too. So we were able to identify the inpatient costs for the medical expenses that these 12 women had, as well as their emergency room visits. And then we were able to put them into housing and then measure those same costs going forward. And what we were able to do is we were able to demonstrate a net return on investment, actual cost savings to the community of $60,000. You know, so, wow. so $5,000 per person mm -hmm. and reduce the shelter capacity and improve the quality of life for those 12 women. Man. All from a data warehouse. Who knew? All from a data warehouse. Yeah. And it's not, that's how it starts. And then, so what that, so where that's when, you know, you asked it a long, it's a, it's a simple question with a long answer, but that was such a, you know, a, a pivotal moment for, for me because I was no longer doing work that was just about banking or finance or what have you, which that, I have a finance background. So mm -hmm. to be able to apply that to, just to help someone else was, was a huge change for, for me. It was because the work is so much more rewarding, right? Yep. Financially not as, as rewarding, at least it's definitely not in the early years. Uh, <laughs> there was, there was, a, there was a time when I, like, you know, early on I was, I did have my own house, but I was, I was living, you know, income wise below the poverty line to, to, to in order to afford my own software development and, and go heads down on building something that's so large. Right. Yep. Um, but, you know, fast forward 20 years and it panned out, right? Cause I'm happy with the work and, you know, you're kind of like sowing your fields and getting everything ready for a crop that hopefully you're gonna be able to reap later on. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, and it's been, a, you know, for a while with myself flying solo. Now I've got a team, you know, we're able to expand our impact to other things. 
um, expanded reach beyond just, you know, Massachusetts, which is awesome. Part of the reason why I'm here now in San Diego is to, to dive in deeper. But yeah, so that's, uh, oh, that's the, that's the intro. <laughs> I, uh, I did not know I was going to get such a great story out of that. Uh, <laughs> uh where'd SimTech come from? That's amazing. Um, and, and nowadays, like a, a data warehouse from HMIS data seems almost like a prerequisite, uh, for, for groups. Like it, uh, almost everybody I talk to, every CLC, um, right. That's, that's kind of, that's what they do. I do it. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's really cool. Well, uh, you're, you're in San Diego now. What are you doing in San Diego? So San Diego is a unique opportunity in the sense that there is, uh, a lot of activity, uh, both on the, the need, but there's also a response. And so, you know, if you're homeless, yes, there's a tendency to want to go somewhere, um, where it's nicer, uh, for sure. Yeah, it turns um, out when you're not homeless, there's also that desire to go there yeah, too. So it's unsurprising. Yeah, and I'm so as a, as a you know as an opportunity for my family to be able to to come to San Diego and support the work here. Uh, I mean, it's been it's been awesome. I mean, it's uh, the people I get to work with. They, they're they're very passionate about you know helping others. Uh, you know, it's it's just been a really great opportunity. Um, you know, and and to dive in deep, right? Um, you know, you, you can be an emergency room doctor in a place that, that there's no one coming in the emergency room. And that's kind of like, you know, like that's kind of what I felt like in some, mm -hmm. some parts of living in Massachusetts. Like this, this, we've got this, it's, you know, there's, a, there's issues, but they're un, under control, um, a little bit. And this is an area where, you know, the issues are definitely in your face. If you go down, uh, to some parts of town, you'll, you'll see it. Um, and you know that's kind of where I, I felt like I needed to be. And what projects were you working on in San Diego? So uh, the regional task force signed us on. So we met at a, at a National Alliance and Homelessness Conference, and um, you know I think we just we we clicked. She understood what we were trying to accomplish, and there was a need. And it's everything from the data collection for mobile tech for the annual homeless count to we're still doing data warehousing to this day. It's, you know, our, we're no longer on the green screen client server technology, but more on robust dashboarding and, um, you know, public facing tools uh, for, you know, to make it easier for people to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. So we're doing dashboarding work, uh, mobile tech for street outreach. Um, so ongoing data collection. Um, and now we're starting to lean in towards tools for people to help themselves uh, that, you know, they're experiencing homelessness too to be able to know what's going on in the community for as far as resources go, where they can get meals, we're tracking the distribution of meals now, um, you know, in response to COVID, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of need to, to support the shelter in place model, rather than yeah. having people, you know, go all through the community that can, you know, ideally try to get resources to where people are. How, how has COVID affected the stuff that, that you've done? I, I yeah. haven't even thought about that, but how has that, that affected you? On the, the work side, um as far as what we're doing there's definitely a need so the, the the center for disease control the cdc they put out guidance you're trying to decentralize some of the the and spread out some of the shelters right so yep um you've got what used to be these institutions that they always serve 100 people a night whatever now they have to serve half of that and then they're moving to tent facilities or hotels you know, in, in, in here in San Diego, there's a convention center that they have over a thousand people a night at. Mm -hmm. So the big shuffling of the deck, right, as a reaction. And then you still have people that are going to be 
you know, staying out in the streets, whether, you know, you call them service resistant or it's just, you know, that's their preference, how, what, whatever it might be. But you still have a, a pretty high sizable unsheltered population. Yep. So for us, it, the, the, the thing that came to mind really up front was how do we help those people, the most vulnerable, right? Um, and get them connected to basic PPE, uh, make sure they have some of the basics as far as hand washing stations and a place to go to the bathroom and water and food. Like, you know, knowing that our, our traditional shelter-based system can't accommodate everyone. And a lot of the things that, that used to rely on in the for-profit world, like restaurants, yep. they can't rely on those either. You know, those doors were shut for a while. They're starting to open up, but still a lot of them are shut. So, you know, if we had to all of a sudden like kind of scramble and figure out, all right, how can the technology be applied differently to support the people that are doing this good work? Um, and so what we did is we actually used the same technology we use for the annual homeless count. So we have an app called Counting Us. Mm -hmm. And we created new surveys that are really kind of oriented towards first, we did a health and wellness survey to kind of check the readiness check people and, and, you know, how are you feeling today? Like the basic symptom checkers, like just yep. as a way to follow up. And because it's all GPS enabled, you know, the, the, the premise behind that is, is if we need to do contact tracing, you know, to be able to, to you know, find someone, find out who they're with and be able to support that way. But little did we know at the time that there's this whole uh, premise of asymptomatic COVID, right? So, yeah. so I mean, that was, that was new to us all, right? Um, yeah. and, and one of the shelters that we work with Pine Street in, uh, interestingly, there's about 160 people that they serve at night and it was, the, the, the numbers were staggering. Um, I think they had 157 asymptomatic positives. Man, like you know, it, so like all of them, 100, you know, so yep. not even a couple that were that were symptomatic positive. So you're trying. So now it's okay. We can't put. We have to. We have to adjust on the fly, right? And so our focus instead has been let's not let's let's take it back. That put that on the back burner. It's not as important because you, you can't tell if someone has symptoms and they're still a carrier. That's what yeah. our focus, is, right? Um, and instead, we've been really focusing on tracking, you know, meal and water distribution. Currently, um, San Diego is really lucky that they have this private philanthropy. Uh, there's an, an entity called the Lucky Duck Foundation, mm -hmm. and what, what the Lucky Duck Foundation is able to do is rally together people that feel lucky and fortunate about their wealth, and and provide a way to give that back through a, through a one standard, you know you know, vehicle in this case is foundation. And one of the things they're doing right now, which is totally awesome, is they're financing the distribution over of over a thousand meals a day in water to people experiencing homelessness. Wow. So so cool. How how long look, has that been going on for? Do you know? It's, for, it's been for three or four months. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. They 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 were quick to, to react. Um and for me, it was also like personally, I, you know, we, we've talked, it's good to have an outlet, right? It's yep. besides work and, and, uh, you know, family, it's, they love them, but you know, we all need our breaks, right? Uh, especially uh, when you're all stuck in one area. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, they have a meal distribution three days a week. And so I'd start off, you know, working, volunteering there. And then I'd bring one or one or two of my kids sometimes, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And for the starting part, there was really just, 
myself and a couple other people. But the word got out social media and it's amazing to see the outpouring uh, from the community of people that really want to help. Like now I go, like I, I go occasionally just to check in, but like I don't even lift the box because I don't need to. Because of all the boxes of food coming, they, yeah. they got it covered, right? And That's so awesome. it's, really, it's really cool. It's really cool. And the, the thing that I really get jazzed up about is you've got all these, these outreach workers that are coming to one central place to get their meals, and then they're going back out throughout the county to give out their meals. So, and they're going to be using our, our mobile app to track where those meals and waters are going and how many they give out. Mm -hmm. so that part is, um, it's, it's exciting for that. You're like, okay, we can quantify the impact. But what it's really exciting is this is a really good opportunity to align the efforts of all these outreach workers together. Mm. Right? Because they all get different funding. You've got yep. some that get, get VA money. You've got some that are focused on youth. You've got some that just have a certain community that they work in and they don't yep. move out of that. I'm assuming a lot of them are from different organizations as well, right? They're just not it's all the same organization. So you're, you're, you're yeah. crossing, uh, you know, organizational boundaries. It is really cool, yeah. Yeah, so there's like 20 different teams roughly, and they all have different coverage areas we need to map. And so what it's doing is it's giving us a real world exercise to say, how do we manage the logistics of all these disparate organizations and bring them together around the common cause? And right now the focus is meal and water distribution, but the end goal is to keep expanding that and dive deeper and start building up this coordinated case management platform where one outreach worker that interacts with you on Monday can pass out the baton to someone that might see you on Wednesday, hmm. right? And that, yeah. and that way you have that continuum of care and using the meals and waters to build that trust and rapport that's so vital to getting someone from the streets to the next stage and, and a successful offer come from the streets you know, it might be, you know, reuniting with family. It might be uh, getting them into shelter or a hotel uh, yep. or, um, you know, but we're trying to get every little win we can because th those things add up. Right. So, it's yeah. in, in, you know, doing it together and because otherwise, you know, a case manager or an outreach worker, you know, staff, they might, there's high turnover rates and you can't like, if that happens, you lose that, all that knowledge and that, that, you know, and that relationships. Relationship. Yeah. 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 So you're trying to build it as a community response. And that way, if, you know, Joe, the outreach worker is sick on, on Monday, you know, Susan, the outreach worker can pick up right where Joe was left off, ideally. Wow. Right. So is that where you see the kind of the future of your work going? Or is there other places that you, you think you're going to be expanding into? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an area. I mean, there's such a, a need right now for people to understand whether or not the dollars that are being invested are being a, a, a invested in an efficient way. So yeah. that work we did 20 years ago, it's, it's, it's still a common theme. And, you know, taxpayers don't want, you know, to pay more taxes, but they want more impact. And I, I'm yep. a taxpayer too. And so what we're doing, you know, part of what we do, uh, you know, locally here at San Diego, but other communities as well, is we help them understand the cost of what they're doing and the outcomes that are related to that. And mm -hmm. so that way, if we can measure that and we can evaluate these programs that are receiving federal dollars, we can ideally reallocate more dollars to those high performers and, and take money from the, you know, kind of the deadbeats at the bottom, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which, you know, I don't know if there's probably a better phrase for it, but there's, sure. some people, there's some people at any job that aren't really good at it, right? So yep. like, so, you know, to keep funding them and renewing their funding year after year because that's the, that's the budget. 
um, that's not really an effective way to, to go about it. So yeah. you know, try to figure out what does it mean to be a high performer um, and using the data to, to help, you know, guide that and set the, the infrastructure and to, to say, okay, this is important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, try, do more as far as the data capture for sure for street outreach, because that's definitely been a problem in the past, not just San Diego, but everywhere. Yep. Like, how do you really you know, connect with people and quantify every interaction that I have with someone? And that's good for you for a program. It's also good for that person, because if you can identify that I'm seeing this person every day, you know, for the last three years, if you could do what you can do is you can substantiate what's called the chronic homeless status. And what that what that does, it puts them automatically in a higher tier and a higher priority for housing that does come available. Whereas if, if you don't have good data capture mechanisms, that person's gonna gonna not show up, and someone else might bump the you know bump the line, and that who doesn't need the resource as much. Yep. So so it's it's yeah. good for both sides. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. So I know you're in San Diego for another year, but are you are you, you and your team trying to expand out to other cities? Uh, like uh, I'm obviously there. There's not a shortage of need in this. Uh, right. right. In this so like, what what's your plans there? Yeah. So it's really targeted. I mean, we really like to you know rather than serving everyone and you know being a jack of all trades, master of none, we really want to have relationships. So yeah. we have to be a little bit selective on how we go about doing that. So right now, as far as direct community relationships, we're supporting Kansas City, Toledo, San Diego, and then we've got some targeted, like some smaller nonprofits we support, and that's on an ongoing basis. Those those communities, and then for the annual homeless count, uh, we're roughly around 50 communities around out of you know just shy of 400 continues to care. That's, that's, the, that's the, how they HUD groups communities. Um, that we support, but we're supporting, those are pretty large ones, a lot of them that we work with. Mm-hmm. So geographic coverage wise for the annual homeless count, we've got uh, over th- just over 30% of the, the this country's territory. Wow. Um, can, you, can you explain a little bit about the, like how the homeless count tech came about? Like why, why, like why are you yeah. doing stuff around there? I think that's an interesting uh, piece of your, your puzzle. Yeah. There. Yeah, so it's actually the same community that we started with the, with the data warehouse. Uh, we were supporting oh, their their annual homeless count, and it was the traditional paper and clipboard. Uh, yep. Walk walk around, see how many homeless people you interact with, and just you know do tally marks. Uh, you know, and and then at the end of the day, the people would come back, and we'd get stacks. So we, as um, you know, a smaller company at the time, would get all these stacks of paper. And then we have to read everyone's illegible handwriting. It's amazing how many people have awful handwriting. We don't, I'm guilty. I'm guilty yeah, of that. Right. Yeah, right? I mean, we type for a living, so uh, I can read it. But <laughs> <laughs> So then we're supposed to take these, these notes, and then you're supposed to key them into something and, and get a final report out to HUD. So HUD, so what HUD does this annual exercise so they can quantify the extent of homelessness around the country, but also helps allocate where the resources need to go to, to you know, address the problem. So we were doing that paper-based approach for a few years, and every year we, it, we, you do it in January, and then February, March, you're like, this is this is awful, this is awful, we're getting something about it, and then you're, you're done, you kind of forget about it, right? And then the next year comes around, you're like, oh, I didn't want to do anything. So we did that for a few years, and you're like, finally, like mobile tech was really kind of emerging. Um, you know, so like around 2012, uh, we finally said enough's enough. Um, so we said, let's try to build a mobile app to do this. 
um, and, and capture the, the questions that HUD wants us to capture, and then we'll, we'll produce a report that way. And so we piloted it with a couple of communities. And then, uh, yeah, it was one of those things that was, HUD saw as groundbreaking because uh, no one else was doing it. So HUD, you know, I got a call and they said, hey, you know, we're interested in what you're doing. Can you do this for us? Um, and so, yeah, we worked with HUD for a couple of years. Uh, but the, the, the rub with HUD is fair housing law doesn't allow HUD to host data. So, so you could have a, a, a really strong app that data has to go somewhere, right? So what we had to do is we had to separate the front end data collection from the app and have the, the data flow to a database for each community around the country. And it was up to the, up to those communities to set up their own database to receive data, to work with our API that we had to publish. Uh, receive it, process it, and create a final report. Well, that was that was too much of a technical lift, right? Especially yeah. some of the smaller communities, they just couldn't pull it off, and it, it wasn't it was no budget, you know, to to, to do all that work. Right? Yep. So part of ways with HUD um, uh, amicably, which was great, and um, we were able to take the the knowledge gain that we did that we had in the the HUD what was the HUD point in time counting tool. And we took a next version of it, build off of that, and now we have counting us. Um, and that, so we, we, now we're not just the front end data collection, but we have the, the command center that allows account administrators to see all the incoming data from thousands of volunteers coming in, in real time and be able to report numbers, you know, what used to take three months to do in a matter of days. Man. Yeah. I, I bet that was such the first time you did that. I'm sure it was amazing to be able to be like, oh, I'm glad, A, I don't have to count all these, but being able to see that data come in real time has to be really yeah. cool. Yeah. It was super cool. Because the other side of it, too, is I used to be, at, you know, when it was paper based, we would go out during the count. And I, I did miss that part of the human interaction of, you know, the actual, you know, engaging people on the, on the streets. Yep. Um, but then at the end of the day, when everyone, all the volunteers were done, we still had to wait till all the paper was done. Come, come, come back, and then we get to work. Now it's just changed my, my responsibilities and our roles. We're more like back office. We watch it all happen. We, you know, mm-hmm. we're there to support the communities if there's anything goes wrong. But it's it's all real time, and we have built-in data quality checks, and we've done enough that nothing really happens. I mean, it's pretty limited. It's <laughs> there's there's nothing better than a uh, boring go live, so to speak, when you're doing <laughs> yeah. technology. There, there right. nothing, I've done enough of them to know. Nothing better than when uh, you yeah. have a boring uh, rollout of something. So that's awesome. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's actually weird and eerie sometimes. But but the community work with typically that we let them go live early on in a training database. Mm-hmm. You know, they can bang around and try to break it. You know, um, and at this point, it's it's bulletproof because we've done it for, for so many years. And we're using Amazon Web Services um, yep. to receive data. So um, unless the the internet basically goes down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, that would be a pretty bad day for everybody at that point. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And even if it does, uh, we still support offline data storage. So if you don't have cell coverage, you can still sit. So even if the if internet were to go down, once it comes back, they can submit their surveys that way. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so do, uh, do the individual um, uh, volunteers, do they download the app and then use the app on their own device? Is that how they end up doing yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, you know, cool. we've had some communities that, that said, well, you know, not everyone has smartphones, but there's research out there that, you know, two thirds of, uh, it, it's even more than that, it's closer to 70% now um, of adult Americans do have a smartphone. So you can really, if you partner up two people, just 
you know, it was, you know, there's a, there's a yeah, pretty strong chance. Mathematical that, there. Yeah. Uh, especially, I imagine if you even uh, did the, the, the math a little more and the statistics, I bet the people willing to go out in the middle of the night uh, right. to go count homeless individuals, I bet they have an increased odds of having a smartphone, right? Like it's sure. just, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, when you, when you start just looking at the demographics there, I'm sure you would. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's probably communities that would be interested in using your stuff that just somehow don't know about it. If, if someone's listening to this and happens to yeah. be interested, what's the best way to get in contact with you? If, if they want to stop counting things on paper and have their sure. results a few days later, as opposed to a month later, what's, what's the best way for them to talk to you? Well, I think probably to, to kind of get their comfortable with the tech, the best option is to go to pointintime.info. So pointintime.info. And in the yeah. corner, we have a, a contact us or, uh, you know, form. Uh, they can also just email sales at simtechsolutions.com. That goes to yes. me and a couple other people. Um, and, you know, happy to put people in contact with any of our clients. They're all referenceable. Um, you know, so people can kick the tires with a demo, uh, set that up. But, you know, the biggest thing for us is, is we want to build happy customers. And we do that by making it easier, showing the impact. Um, yeah. And then they, they feel, you know, that they're part of something. So we're building a community here too um, that they get to be part of, which is, yep. you know. I think that's awesome. You share the best practices. Uh, I mean, it, it really is the wave of the future. It would really surprise me if 10 years from now, not every community is using a mobile app to do it. So um, yeah, yeah. There's uh, definitely you, a lot of scrutiny right now on some of the, the, the lower performing uh, communities uh, to, to revise uh, what their practices. So uh, the general accounting office actually just published a, a, a 79 page uh, paper about this. And oh, wow. yeah, yeah. And so they're, they're saying, you know, it's time to step up. You know, we've uh, we need some oversight and we need, we need this tighter than what we what we've had. And so yeah. uh, we want to be at the forefront and not have our communities, any of the communities that we work with, be like red flagged as you know what you need to, to, to step yep. it up. Instead, we're talking to those communities now and saying, how can we tighten our methodologies together? What's our collective, you know, thought behind how to do this, not just with the mobile tech, but with some of the, the sampling and enumeration, the stats behind it, because you're not, a, you know, you're not necessarily able to survey everyone. You, you know, yeah. some people you can't engage, right? So you have to observe and you're not necessarily able to get to every part of your community. You know, yeah. we work with like Texas Balance of States, a huge community even in san diego county we have we you know it, it, it is is really large uh but georgia balance state nevada balance state some really you know south dakota um <laughs> yeah, right yep. yeah they're like they're geographically enormous and so you you know we have to come up with my you know methodologies to say for those areas that we weren't able to cover because we just don't have the manpower and the capacity and the volunteer recruitment the funding etc how can we estimate accurately what those counts should have been for those, for those areas. And so that's where we realize we, you know, I am not a statistician, I have a finance background, but we have uh, this gentleman, Dan Treglia, he's a PhD at the UPenn um, and he supports all of our work. So we, mm. we, we bring him in, you know, we know our limits, right? As part of anything, <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. um, and so we have Dan help us with our methodologies, you know, we're just providing the tech. And then, you know, at the end, you're, able to present a community with like this is this is a, a rock solid approach all the way from volunteer recruitment all the way through to the finished product to the submission to hud but then a community paper that says this is what's happening how you know here's our key problems you know what do we need to address 
So like that. Hmm. So then next year, ideally, you're seeing the trends go down in areas that where you know they they weren't. Well, Matt, thank you so much for for coming on and chatting with us. The story is, uh, you know, not only uh, inspirational, but I mean, it, it inspires me to go and and do more. But it's awesome to see the stuff that you're doing and the communities that are willing to to do things that are innovative uh, to try and help people. So, you know, thanks for the work that you do and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the business of vulnerability. If you or somebody you know would be a wonderful guest for our next recording, please let us know at Team Pulse. It's T-E-A-M-P-U-L-S-E at pulseforgood.com. Thank you.